I'm not going to try and thank everyone or acknowledge everyone. I'll miss people. Um, I need to stick to my notes. <laughs> I want to thank the elders um, and ultimately the church for the opportunity to be your pastor. It's been my privilege to try and serve as both your pastor and your friend. You know, I was thinking we've been here through a lot of your good times, a lot of your bad times, your times of grief, your times of gladness, tears and laughter, your times of loss, as well as times of joy and celebration. Um, I know that my family will never be the same by the relationships we've forged with so many of you. Hopefully, we've helped many of you draw closer to the Lord, and hopefully we have enhanced the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. Um, it's not about me today, folks. It's about him. So thank you for all of those of you who have shown your love and your support um, in so many ways. Praise and worship team. I do have to acknowledge them. I said it a couple weeks ago, don't they do a fabulous job? They do a great job. It stinks. Um, if you know me, I'm not always the easiest person to work with, with uh, music as far as... Um, I don't know if mom and dad knew they were singing, but that's how he raised, just be ready to go. He raised us. And so I have a tendency to just, when it comes to music, just well, let's just do it, you know, or let's just go with it. And, and, and sometimes that can be fun for the team. Um, but uh, so easy to work with, and um, we worked really well together. I can tell you there's no egos up here. There's no egos. I've worked with people and I've worked with bands that um, egotistical and uh, I love you all. And Joyce, I am going to talk about you and just thank you for your willing heart just to allow us from Sunday to Sunday just to do whatever God wants us to do. So Joyce, we thank you. Is this yours, Mandy? It's mine because I'm not going to drink after anybody who's, uh, Lisa, you talked about that. Oh, now you talk. Roger, was that you? Joe? I needed that right now. I'm back with you. I needed that. Well, wow. uh, some of you may be wondering, um, um, my family and I are entering a time when never, 
I just feel like I need some extended time away. Time to rest, rejuvenate, maybe find myself again. Um, One thing I can tell you for sure, and I've told other people this, there's two things that I know for sure. That um, I need this time away. Um, I need this time of rest. But I also know that the call to ministry and the passion has not waned in the least. I still have just as much of a passion, just as much of a fire to serve the Lord in ministry as I do right now. But one has to happen before the other. And so I uh, wanted to let you know that and maybe refocus just like Uh, We were talking about where, and I don't know how long this is going to be. We're on this journey. We don't know how long it's going to be. Um, But we did a lot of talking, a lot of praying, and some of you can probably determine this, but where can we spend this time? And so we're going to be relocating to Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, You know who's down there. Um, We have a daughter and two grandkids, and... Oh, yeah, i got a son-in-law, too, but oh, well. Um, so <laughs> he, he, he's always in the last place, you know, but uh, um, we're going to relocate down there. We have, uh, we're still on a faith journey. I have no idea what awaits us down there. Um, but you need to know that we are excited. What God has done and what God is doing and what God will continue to do. So... Pray for us, please, as we will pray for you and your next journey and your step along the way. Can I preach now? Last Sunday, uh, Wesley sang, what was it, all in all, Wesley? You are all in all. He sang that song. Um, And that is so true. Not only should God be in our all in all, or our all in all. He should be in everything in our life. He is, he is the unparalleled force, church, in every situation in our life, good or bad. And as I said last week, He is able to bring good out of every situation we're in. So just to make sure you're still with me, say the verse with me. Here we go together. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Breaking that verse down, that's what we've been doing over the last month or more. The first two words, we know. You might remember that we talked about this. And the first two words of this promise are not for God, but they're for us. They're for us. And I find it comforting to know that the first two words God put for us. Excuse me one second. Because God is God, and because we know God, we can know for certain that He can and He will bring good out of our bad circumstances in life. We know that all things, 
You've heard it said, all means all, and that's all that all means. God can bring good out of every situation, life's tragedies, and praise the Lord, even our mistakes along the way. We know that all things work together. God can cause all things in our life to work together, but only, hear this, only if we work with God. Only if we'll allow Him to call the shots and call the plays and hold the playbook. Not working against God, but all things work together when we work for Him and with Him. All things work together for good. Jeremiah 29.11 we know says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for what? A hope and a future. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But he said plans for good. Even in the midst of your life's difficulties, your life's tragedies, there can still be good that will come out of it. God's ways are not always our ways, but God's ways always end up being for our good. Amen to that. We know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. We talked about this last week. This, folks, is the fine print in the contract. But it reminds us that the promises of God are conditional and are for God lovers only. Let's not forget that. This promise is for those of us who have accepted Christ and are living for Him that are God lovers. We know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and to those called according to His purpose. As we've said, God has a plan and He has a purpose for everything that happens to us. We just need to allow Him to do what He wants to do in order to bring about His perfect will, in order to bring about His perfect purpose in our lives. Now, I began this series four or five weeks ago stating that if I could leave you with something, not necessary fluff or a lot of air, but if I could leave you with something, that as you go through the storms of your life, as you go through life's tragedies, if I could leave you with something that when it's all said and done, you would stay standing. You would be victorious. When the dust clears that you're still victorious in your walk with the Lord, then I believe that I would have left you with something that will last beyond this life. Nevermore is that point true than with the final point that I want to make today. You see, if there's one area of life, if there's one thing in life that everyone avoids or tries to avoid more than anything, that one issue will be the issue of death. Now, I don't intend on making my, my last message a Debbie Downer message, okay? Uh, but, but think about this. I can't think of any greater thought to leave you with than for you to know that God can make all things work together for good, even in the cemetery. Do I have your attention yet? Follow me here with this. 
Think about it. If we can see good during life's most difficult times, is there anything, church, that we should fear then? Amen? There isn't anything that we should fear if God can bring good out of everything, even the cemetery. Turn to John chapter 11. Turn to John chapter 11. Some of you are thinking, hmm, I don't know what he's going with this. Hmm. To emphasize this point, I want us to look at a very popular passage. The story of Lazarus. As you're turning to John chapter 11, just a quick synopsis. We're told that Jesus was informed that his friend Lazarus was near death. But Jesus delayed two days. And when he finally does go, he finds that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. So he delays two days and he gets there and he finds that he's already been dead for four days. Mary and Martha are upset, saying, Lord, if you would have just, why didn't you just? (laughs) And then I think we all know what happened next in the story. But out of this story comes four truths that I want to share with you today, even in the cemetery. The first point that I want to make today, death is a reality. Death is a reality. Look, there are two things in this life that we know we can't avoid. Death and taxes, right? (laughs) There are many people who are trying to avoid taxes, but they can't avoid death. When Jesus and the twelve were discussing going back to the area of Judea and Bethany, the twelve were confused because Jesus, look at what Jesus said in verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 11. Verse 11, they were confused because it says this, These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. You see, they didn't understand what he meant by that. Why do we need to go back now? You had an opportunity, but if Lazarus is really just sleeping, they thought he was ill, they thought he was resting, then they thought he's he's eventually going to get up. And then Jesus just plainly told them in verse 14, he says, Lazarus is dead. Statistics show that approximately 108 people die every minute. So even as we speak, someone has crossed the threshold of this life into the next. As you are sitting there and as I'm standing here, someone is crossing over into eternity. Death is a reality. There's no getting around it. Death, listen to this, death is as much a part of living as living is. And we should talk as much about death as we do about living because the sooner we accept it, folks, the sooner we can deal with it all. That's my point, first point. The rest gets better, trust me. And I love this second part. Even though death is a reality, the story of Lazarus teaches us that death, praise the Lord, is not a finality, but only a phase. 
Think about that. Death is not a finality, but only a phase. I'm hoping that we can walk out of here this morning with a little bit more of a pep in our step, with a little bit more encouragement, being reminded of some of these great truths. You see, for the one, remember what uh, Romans 8.28 says, for those who love the Lord, for the one who loves the Lord, death is merely a tunnel, not a cave. Matter of fact, if you look at John 11, verse 38, what does it say there? It says, Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. You see, for the one who loves the Lord, death is just a tunnel, not a cave. And Jesus took the cave of Lazarus, (laughs) and he turned it into a tunnel. It's a one-way road to glory, not a dead-end street to oblivion, church. Look at John 11, verse 4. John 11, verse 4. I'll have it up on the screen. Jesus, when he was told that Lazarus, your friend, is sick, Jesus said this, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now see, Jesus knew when he said this that Lazarus was going to be dead in a few days. So how on earth could he have said that? He said it because he knew what was about ready to happen. Right? He knew what was going to be taking place. I've seen my fair share of individuals in homes nursing homes and hospitals and hospice situations where death just seems imminent. Death seems moments away. Just yesterday I I visited an individual in the hospital that if the Lord doesn't intervene, there's going to be a threshold that's going to be crossed. I have visited way too many situations like that. But here's the glorious truth. And without sounding insensitive, whenever I visit a believer who is on the death or doorstep of death, what I would like to do or what I could do is I could take a a piece of paper and I would like to hand this piece of paper to all the family members that are in that room. And then I would hand that piece of paper to the individual that is in the bed. For that individual who knows the Lord, that piece of paper would say what? It would say that verse right there. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified. Have you ever thought about that? For the believer in Jesus Christ, you can hand them that verse. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? You see, Lazarus' sickness did include death, but it did not end in death. Praise the Lord. Sickness included death, but it did not end in death. You see, this is the good part of Romans 8, 28, that even in the cemetery, good can come out of this. Life has its different phases. We know that has the birth and the childhood and the adolescence 
the adulthood, the middle years. And as I was putting this down, um, I guess I'm now in those middle years. Um, years ago, I would have thought, well, then after, middle, after the middle years comes the golden years. Honey, I'm not ready for the golden years yet. <laughs> so I just, put another, I just put another phase in there. It's, what did I call it? The post-middle years. <laughs> I feel better about that. We're not going to talk about what age that is, but I'm in the middle years, and next up is the post-middle years, and then the post-post-middle years, and, <laughs> and then maybe the golden years. But for the saved, and boy, listen to this. I hope you get this. Death is just another phase of life. But it's not the end. It's not a period or an exclamation mark. It's just a comma. It's what allows the loved ones to look at their loved one and say, you know what, I'll just see you later. I'll just see you in a little bit. Amen? I'll just see you in a little bit. Jesus said what he said in verse 4 because he knew what was going to happen. Church, we can say that because we too know what's going to happen. Amen? (laughs) Yes. So don't think that death is final. It's just a phase along the way. It's just a phase in the life of the saint. That's my second point, the third point. Because of this, we do not grieve as the world grieves. I've said this before. I'll say it one more time. One of the Wesley brothers, confronted by an atheist, he was asking the, I think Charles Wesley, how do you know that your way is right and that your God is alive, your God is true? And he said, God's people die well. God's people die well. Because of this, we do not grieve as the world grieves because he can work all things for the good. Some of you don't know this story. I've said it before, but I'll tell it again. My cousin Jason... Passed away at the age of 40. Left behind a wife and three kids. How can something good come from that? Some things we'll never understand this side of heaven. But I can tell you this. At the funeral service, he worked for Warner Southern College and there were students all over the place. And at the end of the service, the pastor opened it up for an invitation and the altars were lined with people seeking God's face. How can you do that at a funeral? How can there be rejoicing? How can there be good things happen at a funeral? That's how. And there were people that day, had it not been for that occasion, may may never have gotten right with the Lord. People down there getting their hearts right with Jesus. We know that all things work together. Will we sorrow and will we grieve? Yeah, we will. Will we shed tears? Yes, we will. Will we feel empty? Yes, we will. Will life at times seem gray? Yes, we will. This is just a part of being human. But I want you to notice something about our Lazarus story. 
Notice where it says Jesus wept, but he didn't wail. He sorrowed, but he didn't faint. He grieved, but not as those who have no hope. John, the Archbishop, the Archbishop of Constantinople, once preached a message on the subject of excessive grief at the death of friends, warning his congregation that Jesus did not want believers to sink down in hopeless, lonely, depressed, despondent despair when a believer went on to glory. Notice he didn't say that we should not sorrow, that we should not grieve, but that we should not sink so low, we should not sink down in hopeless, lonely, depressed, despondent despair when the believer went on to glory. And again, without sounding insensitive, I believe this is possible because of what Jesus did on Resurrection Day because of where the soul goes upon death, because of what will happen to these mortal bodies of ours on Resurrection Day. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us that we should not grieve like those who have no hope. Praise God. Let me read you a story about some missionaries. Neil and Carol Anderson... They served for many years as missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators in New Guinea. And it was their great mission to bring the Word of God to a tribe of people who, have never, who had never heard the Gospel. One of the things that happened, of course, is that the new Christians changed the way they dealt with the subject of death. Carol told this story about a man whose name was Irama. And he passed away while the Andersons were on a trip. They returned shortly after his death to find his widow sitting in front of the house mourning. She looked a little haggard, but she was smiling. That was utterly amazing because in that society, when a man died, his widow was expected to sit by his graveside day and night, wailing and mourning, scarcely eating or sleeping. This wife explained, My husband died while you were gone, but he told me not to wail and mourn for him because he was going to God's place. Then she told them the entire story. Irama had been very sick, obviously dying. The family gathered around him very close, and finally the old man stopped breathing. The friends and family members, as the custom was, began wailing loudly, sobbing, crying and mourning. Suddenly, to their great surprise, Arama opened his eyes. Instantly, the wailing ceased, and everyone looked at the man in shock. Arama told them that he had been to the Lord's place. He said it was brilliantly lighted, and the surface of the ground was like a rainbow laid out flat. He told them not to mourn for him, And then he closed his eyes and died. Now the family was faced with a great dilemma. In that culture, they were expected to engage in excessive, prolonged, and vociferous mourning. It was also the custom to burn the clothing of the deceased 
kill his pigs and destroy his garden. But Irama had returned to life, as it were, to tell them not to do that. So his widow, now being a Christian, decided to obey her husband's advice. She grieved, but not excessively. She didn't burn his clothes or destroy his pigs or crops. She did not put mud on her face and remain by his grave day after day. It was the talk of the village. And it was a powerful witness that when Christ comes into a culture and into a home and into our heart, he changes the way believers view the process and the act of dying. We sorrow, but we sorrow not as those who have no hope. And the last point. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. Come on up, man. That's right. This just me. Wow. But what does this word sleep mean? Just a few minutes, I want to dive into this. In Mark chapter 5, we see a 12 year old girl, girl who has passed away, passed away, but when Jesus shows up, he says, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. In Acts chapter 7, the story is told of when Stephen was stoned to death. And it says this, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Regarding the 
500 people who saw Jesus alive after the resurrection, it says, after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And look at what we just talked about, 1 Thessalonians. But I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. In this context, the word sleep obviously refers to someone who has died. I didn't know this, but what's interesting, the word cemetery in Greek means sleeping chambers. Sleeping places. However, we know that the soul does not die. The soul does not sleep, but the soul lives on. So, what's behind this concept of sleep? I believe Scripture tells us it involves these earthly tents, these physical shells. This is a point I've talked to Dad about many, many times, and this is a part that really gets Dad excited. So, Dad, control yourself as we go through this last point. But listen, when we all fall asleep at night, we typically let our bodies relax. So there's this idea of the body resting. But we also get the concept of rising up. When we get up in the morning, you get up, you rise up in the morning. And this reveals, and hang on with me here as we come to the close, this reveals a wonderful truth. If we were to look, we're not going to go there now, but if we were to look at 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us what will happen to these physical bodies when we die. It also tells us that one day we will have new and glorious bodies. Somebody say amen. Amen. Bodies that will be new and improved. Praise the Lord. Bodies which will not be phased, that will not be susceptible to things like cancer, things like heart disease or strokes or heart attacks, things like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. And how many of you can say praise the Lord, no more diabetes? Let me get an amen on that. Some of you are dealing with that this morning. These heavenly bodies, church, church will be custom-made. Custom-made for eternal life and beyond. But listen, 1 Corinthians tells us, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, the only way that we're going to get these heavenly bodies, these spiritual bodies, these new bodies, is if these earthly bodies first die. These corruptible, these mortal bodies must first cease to exist. It uses the illustration of the seed that produces a beautiful plant. But before this happened, the seed must first be buried. Before this beautiful transformation takes place, the seed, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, the seed must first be buried. In other words, the seed must first die. Then and only then will it produce something beautiful. Something marvelous. The same with our earthly bodies. When a saint dies, their soul goes on to be with the Lord. Paul told us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He looked at the thief and he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. So we know that the soul goes on and lives forever. And their physical bodies, symbolically, I guess you could say in the Word of God, 
fall asleep, waiting to be awoken and changed. Some of you may be asking the question, when will this transformation take place? I'm glad you asked. All of you who have lost loved ones in the Lord, I want you to listen up to this. One of these days, Jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And for those believers, those lovers of God, for those who have gone to sleep in Christ, Jesus is going to say what He said to Lazarus. He's going to shout, Come forth! And in the twinkling of an eye, this transformation is going to take place. And our loved ones, just like that, are going to be clothed with their new bodies. <laughs> They're going to be clothed with these new heavenly bodies. And the rest of us will meet the Lord in the air. And we're all going to experience that together as Scripture tells us this. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all what? Sleep. sleep. We shall not all sleep. But we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that is saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. I'm about ready to take off right now. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Church, we have been conditioned from the world to think that when we take our last breath, that life ends. I want to leave you with this glorious reminder for the believer in Jesus Christ, again the follower, the lover, the passionate lover of Jesus Christ, there is no finality in death. Our loved ones have not ceased to exist. Their souls, even as we speak, even as we speak, mom, mom, and dad had Pap, Pap, Mert. They're in the blissful presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Their souls are there. Their souls are alive and well in the blissful presence of our Lord. Yes, even their bodies, listen, are just merely resting. They're just merely sleeping, waiting for that trumpet blast. This is why Jesus in this story was able to tell Martha this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Did you get that? Never die. You will never die. There will never be a time when you cease to exist. Death is just a phase for the believer. Praise the Lord. We know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose, even at the cemetery. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. 
We're going to sing a song. I have some baptisms to do. And then we might do one more song. I don't know. We'll see. Would you stand with me, please? Oh, praise be to Jesus. How many times have I ended this, Lord, by saying thank you for your word? May we not be like those who have no hope. We have a hope within our souls. Brighter than the perfect day, God has given us his spirit and we want the world to hear. All of our doubts have passed away. If there's anyone here this morning that has doubts, look, it's a different type of service, but this time can be for you. God is dealing with you all on anything. The altars are open. The altars on your right. If you want someone to pray with you, you can come to the altars on your right. If you want to just be alone with the Lord, you can come to the altars on the left. But we're going to pray. And Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God. Thank you that we can rejoice even at the cemetery. I pray that this helps someone today and it's helped me encourage all of us that we keep keeping on for Jesus be one of those to those who love God. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing this song. Go ahead, Rachel. Worship with us. Sing with us. Praise the Lord. The altars are open if you're wanting to pray.